you so much for joining us this morning at Vertical. Today, Pastor Brian is going to continue his mountain series. And today he's going to talk about letting the fire fall. And here's Pastor Brian. Hey, everybody. We are near the top of Wolf Creek Pass. Isn't it beautiful? We've been looking at this for a couple of days from down in Pagosa Springs. It's beautiful. We've been looking at it in the day. We've been waiting. Today, we climb that mountain. And so we're up here at the top. And it's beautiful. There's things we've never seen before here at the top. We've seen glories that are overwhelming. And that's what God has for us when we climb mountains, when we go to where He calls us. He shows us things we've never seen before. He gives us vision. We get perspective. And He calls us to climb that mountain. Yeah, we had a great time last week. We appreciate you praying for our family while we were gone. And I'm grateful for Kyle Rogers filling in right here. Did a great job, didn't he? Amen. He did. Grateful for that. We got to watch online while we were driving back. And uh, that was cool, being a part uh, of Vertical on the Road. And uh, we noticed this week that our YouTube subscribers have now hit 100 subscribers. So yeah, that's awesome. So there's an online audience joining us right now. We are grateful for them being a part of our time together this morning. We are continuing to climb some mountains. God has had us on a journey here over the past weeks. We've been looking at different mountains throughout scripture. And uh, I wish I could tell you I had planned that vacation months in advance knowing this exact series was going to come up. It really, that's just God's planning. It just worked out that way. I, hadn't, I didn't master plan all of that. It just worked out. We had a, a great time there. It was interesting. The, uh, the house we were staying in, we could see Wolf Creek Pass just sitting on the back porch. And so every morning you got up, you're just like, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you live here in Texas, you don't see that kind of stuff. But there, it's just like, wow, that's, that's not a postcard. That's real, you know? And it was beautiful. What was also stunning uh, to me was that... Uh, the sun would set and you would see so many different variations of the mountain, the way the light would hit it, and then night would come. It was dark. It was really dark that we'd go outside and see stars we don't normally see here. And what was also fascinating is I would look over in the direction of where that mountain was, and I couldn't see it. It was there, but it was so dark, I could not see the mountain. I had to just remember that it was there, even when I couldn't see it. Does that sound like something we do in faith? When I can't see it, I know it's still there. I trust I'll see it when the daylight comes again. And sure enough, the sun would come up the next morning, it was still there. It was beautiful. What a great reminder as we continue to climb mountains of faith. We've been on a journey here. We've been looking at nine mountains throughout scripture that God had people climb, that significant events happened on, where God revealed himself in brand new, fresh ways on each of those mountains. And I think as we continue along, maybe today, you'll begin to see something of the pattern that God has. There's a reason these mountains occurred like they did in scripture. And God takes us through a similar process through some mountains. And the journey up a mountain, if you're climbing a mountain, if you're today in the process of climbing a mountain that God has for you. He's given you a promise. He's given you a picture. He's given you a vision and you're believing him and you're working your way toward that. Then you're climbing a mountain. Then you have to know there's risk involved. Amen. You have to know there's energy required. You have to know it takes some work to climb a mountain. When we uh, drove up uh, Wolf Creek Pass, it was beautiful. You know my fear of heights. I'm a nervous wreck the whole time. I'm not even driving, which makes me more of a nervous wreck. So I'm in the back seat, just, you know, oh, this is really nice. You know, I'm nervous and watching it's these hairpin turns. Have you ever been up through there? We get to the top and it's beautiful. That scene you saw was at the top of the mountain. And then we come back down and I'm starting to feel better. Okay, we're getting back down low. I'm with you always, Jesus said. So I'm relating. It's just better, much better. But as we're coming down that mountain, you know, you're coming down the road and you can look down and see the next part of the road down there. You can say, oh, that's where we're going to be in a little bit. Can't wait to get there. But I look down there at one of the curves. I think, that looks weird. Drive a little bit further. You're working your way down the mountain. I can see it again. 
what is that? There's something. Road winds come down around. It's, and I notice it's on one of the real tight hairpin turns. Look down there. Tractor trailer turned over on the side of that mountain right there. I mean, I'm thinking, wow. So sure enough, we get down to it, and it's just happened. The police are just arriving. But I look, and the driver's standing outside it, and it's just like, just leaned over on the guardrail. I don't know how much more it would have taken just to, you know, go on over, but it just, <clears throat> it sealed my, you know, belief in, low. I'm with you always. You know, I'm like, let's just get back down low and it'll be fine. Anytime you climb a mountain, anytime you're going to pursue what God has for you, anytime you're going to believe him and follow him, there's going to be some risk involved. And it will require that you absolutely trust him the entire time. I don't know what happened to this guy driving the truck. I don't know if he thought, you know what, I think I'd like some different mountain music. And he just turned the dial and all of a sudden, I don't know if the wind got him. I don't know if he was texting. I don't know what happened. But something happened that caused him to leave the roadway. If you're following Christ today and he's got you on a mountain, Stay attentive to him. Listen to him. Don't get distracted. The treasure is worth it. And the consequences are devastating if you get off track. Let's talk about some mountains we've looked at so far today to kind of set the scene. We've talked about uh, Noah in our first series, our first message. We talked about him climbing the mountain of salvation. We realized he really didn't climb it. He got into the ark and it took him there. It's a picture of Jesus. You enter into who Christ is and it takes you there with salvation. We looked at the mountain of surrender as Abraham went up Mount Moriah with his big dream, his son, and there he offered him to God and God gave him back to him, mountain of surrender, mountain of calling. We saw Moses go up and get a calling from God for his life, his purpose, his, his direction in his future. And we also saw two weeks ago, we walked with an older gentleman in the Old Testament named Caleb, who's in his 80s, and he's making it into the promised land. <clears throat> and he looks up and he says, I want that mountain, a mountain of faith. There's a a process here, if you'll notice. There's salvation, the calling to surrender, a calling upon your life that will require absolute faith. You see, all the mountains have a connection to them. There's a process here that God walks us through. I don't know where you are in the journey. We're not finished yet. We're just about halfway in, but this is a process that God walks all of us through. I hope you've come to the place where you've discovered that the only way to get to where God is is by entering into the ark of Jesus Christ himself. That's salvation. I hope you've come to the place where you've heard him call you to surrender what's most precious to you, what you thought was most important, and exchange it for what he says is most important. I hope you've come to that mountain. I hope you've been up that mountain. I hope you've been up the mountain of calling where you meet with God in a way you've never met with him before and he gives you some sense of what your life is all about in pursuing him. And I hope you've been up the mountain of faith where you see what he has and you say, there's stuff in this life, there's stuff I've thought about, but I want that mountain. I want that place. Because it leads us to where we are today. It's the mountain of impact. If you want to be at a place where your life really counts for something, if you want to be at a place where your life matters, I'm not talking about that you got a certain amount of money in the bank. You attained to some level of salary. You got to a place where you had the house you dreamed of, the cars you dreamed of, all of that. I'm not talking about any of those things. That's not impact. I'm talking about being at a place in your life where you begin to make a difference in the lives of others, where your life is not about you anymore, where waking up in the morning is not about how you feel. Going to bed at night is not about how you felt about the day, but about what God has given you and the difference you're making in someone else's life. This is true impact. And you can't get up this mountain if you haven't been up the other mountains, but this mountain is different. The climb is different. The work is different. The requirement is different. 
If you've been up the other four mountains, you'll look at this point in your life and think, you know, I'm not where I was. I remember when I was new in Christ. I remember the the elementary feel of that, but I've passed that. You remember the, the growing pains along the way. And you'll remember the lessons you learned and the struggles you walked through. And you'll, you'll say, I, I learned some powerful lessons here. God brought me through. If you've been through those mountains, you know there's a hunger for something more. There's something else that kind of itches inside you. Because once you start climbing mountains, it's not enough to say, been there, done that. There's something that draws you onto the next mountain. I got to get there. I want what's on top of that one. I want to experience what God has for me there. And that's where we go today, the mountain of impact. We're in 1 Kings 18 today. If you want to turn your Bibles there in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to follow a man named Elijah here. He's going to go up a mountain that we in the English language call Carmel. Um. It is the word that means fruitful. If you want to experience true impact and fruitfulness in your life, then it happens on this mountain. There's something unique about this mountain, though. The enemy will do all he can to keep you from this mountain. He doesn't want you being a mountain climber. He's angered by every step you take at each mountain you've climbed. And this one is no different. He'll do all he can to keep you from climbing it. He'll keep you stuck looking at your past failures. He'll keep you stuck looking at your limitations. He'll keep you stuck comparing yourself with other people because he doesn't want you to climb the mountain of impact. It's on the mountain of impact that you will break free from who You are yourself, and you truly will begin to make a difference in the lives of others. This journey is unique that we're on because this is a journey that's not just for us individually, as I've talked to you about along the way. And I want to drive this home again today. This series will have personal impact for you. There'll be things you will apply along the way. You'll say, man, that is exactly where I am. But I want us to be so aware of something else that God is doing here. Because God not only speaks to us individually, but he speaks to us collectively as a church. In fact, this is what God does. He speaks to his church And he speaks to individuals. You can't separate the two. If you're attempting to live your walk of faith, your Christian life, separate from being the church, you're already experiencing some frustrations and emptiness because you were never designed to experience this walk isolated. You weren't meant to climb that mountain alone. We were designed to climb it together as the church. And this is the work that Jesus is about. The New Testament says, Jesus' own words say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is Jesus building? His church. And so the work that he does in us has to be considered in the context of us. Amen? So I'm going to just remind us of that today. Because there's going to be some moments today where you're going to be tempted to zone all the way into what does this have to say about me? And you're going to become like this. And I'm going to remind you to keep doing this. All right? Because it's about us while it's about you. Not just about you, it's about us. It's not just about us and not you. God does both together. Amen? All right. This is a mountain we'll climb, First Kings 18. The man's name is Elijah. Let me give you a little bit of background. It's a big story. We're entering in in the middle of it. It's at a time when the people of God are not doing so well. 
They have chased after other gods. They've allowed a lot of idols in. They've begun to pursue other gods. And they haven't neglected the one true God completely. They've really kind of made an even greater mistake. They've included him in the mix of some other gods. They've made him of the same level as some other gods. They've put him in the mix of all that is to be worshipped. They made him just another good idea. It's the people of God who have done this. It's easy to point outside and say, oh, well, they did that. No, this was the people of God had made the one true God just another good idea. And they had began to try to play both ends of the field. They tried to please the one true God as well as the other gods. They had brought him over on par with them and attempted to worship them all and it was really creating havoc in the land. Because know this, God will not pour out his blessing on a people who are not wholeheartedly in love with him. When your heart's divided and you're trying to play this group and this group and this God and this thing and this pleasure and yourself and God is just a mix in that, it's as though he's one-seventh of the story. Hello. If he's just a piece of what you do, don't expect him to just pour out blessing upon you. This is a mountain that's going to take some work today. He's calling us out of the one-seventh. He's calling us into 100%. 1 Kings 18. People of God have lost their impact. The people of God have a wicked leader. There are more prophets for the false gods than there are for the one true God. It's interesting when you read the early parts of 1 Kings 18, um, all of the, uh, the prophets of God, the true prophets, have been captured out of the land. They've been put away because the wicked leadership doesn't like them speaking out. And it's interesting when Elijah shows up on the scene, he's the one who hasn't been caught yet, hasn't been arrested, who hasn't been imprisoned. He shows up and the wicked king says, oh, there you are finally. You are the one who is the troubler of Israel. Isn't that funny? That's what the wicked do. They think the believers are the ones who are creating all the trouble. Hello. They think we are the problem that's making everything so bad. But Elijah says, hello, me? You call me the troubler of Israel? It's you, king. You're the one because you have forsaken him and chased after other gods. Elijah is a guy who cuts it straight and he's going to today. So as we go through this today, uh, let me give you a couple of spoiler thoughts. I'm going to go ahead and spoil the story for you if you don't know the end of the story. When we get to the end of the story today, the fire of God is going to fall in a miraculous, overwhelming way. So great, so real, so powerful that the entire nation will repent and turn back to him. It's a good spoiler, right? So don't fall asleep in the story, even though you know the end of it already. All right, just stay with me here. Elijah today in the story, I want us to look at carefully. I want us to see everything he does because he today is a picture for us. If the fire of God is going to fall in our land again, which I believe can happen, it will happen based on what we, the church, do. There's no other source for it in our nation today. Our hope does not rest in our education system, the healthcare system, the governmental system. The only hope, the only hope has been placed in the hands of the ones who have hope, the church of Jesus Christ. It's the big C church, 
but it's the little C church. It's us as well. So when I say church today, I'm going to be talking about us. He'll speak to you, but he's speaking to us. I had to give you all that to get into the story here. Here we go. Verse 20 is where we're beginning today. Ahab is the king. It's time for a showdown. Elijah says it's time to get everybody together. It's time for a showdown on the mountain. So here we go. Verse 20 and 21. It says, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. They went to the mountain. They called them to the mountain. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Elijah just cuts it straight. Elijah just speaks it. And Elijah's, you would think Elijah would be terrified of this moment. He's the one prophet left. He's the lone voice. He doesn't have a crew with him. He doesn't have some backup singers with him. He's by himself and he's speaking truth and he just cuts right to it. He calls all of God's people and says, look here, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? Interesting, this word here for falter is a word that means to stumble, to trip over. These guys were tripping. They were. Because they were, they were at a place where they were stuck. They were trying to play this side and this side. They were trying to have a, a little bit of God and a little bit of the rest. They were somehow trying to bring all of this together, merge it together in one big thing and put God in the mix. And God will not be worshiped that way. God is not meant to be served as part. He's not one-seventh, he's 100%. And that's what he's looking for, a people who will follow him 100%. And Elijah says, you guys, you're tripping. You're tripping over two opinions, two ways. You're trying to have it both ways. You want to worship him on Sunday and play your game on Monday. You want to do your thing. You want to have his blessing, yet walk in all of his curses. And you can't have that. You can't have the fire fall if you're not 100% in on him. If you're tripping over your stuff, if you're tripping over your thinking, if you're tripping over all your emotions, if you're tripping over stuff going on in your life, and you're saying, okay, God, I know you want me to do this, but this group wants me to do this. I'm trying to keep up with my friends at work. I'm trying to keep up with the friends at school. I'm trying to look cool to this group. I'm trying to stay popular on social media. I don't want to, you know, offend some people. Elijah says, I don't care about your offense. Truth don't care about your feelings. Truth don't care about your facts. Truth don't care about what you say. Truth is truth. Now follow him. Choose it. Get out of the rut. Stop being stuck. Elijah calls him out. No fire's gonna fall until you stop being stuck. You're trying to play both sides. You're trying to please people and please God. You're trying to please yourself, please God. You're trying to build your kingdom and build God's kingdom. You're trying to do your thing, trying to do God's thing. You're trying to keep your sin and trying to keep your savior. You're trying to hold on to control and say you're submitting. You're trying to hold on to your bitterness and your resentment and your revenge you want to get on that person while at the same time singing about forgiveness. You can't have it both ways, folks. Choose it. Choose one way or the other. Stand up. Make the choice. Quit trying to play both sides. You're stuck. You're miserable because you're trying to play both sides. No fire's going to fall as long as you're stuck. You've got to stop being stuck. You can tell if you're in this spot because your relationships get to a place where you don't know what to do next. You're just stuck. Well, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. You know what God's called you to do. What's happening is you're resisting. You're refusing. You don't want to surrender. You don't want to give in. 
You're afraid of how it's going to make you look. You're afraid of what might happen. You don't want to take the cost that could come with it. No fire is going to fall until you stop being stuck. Amen? If you're stuck in your relationships, if you're stuck in some personal habit, if you're stuck in your pain, if you're stuck in your depression, if you're stuck in your decisions, it means you've come to a place where you're tripping instead of submitting. You're tripping over what you want to do when you know what he's called you to do. Stop tripping. Start submitting. That's what you do. Let's move on. The saddest verse out of this entire passage is right here to me. But the people answered him not a word. Elijah shows up in the power of the Spirit and he calls out an entire nation. Choose it this day, folks. Follow God if he's God. Follow Baal if he is. Make a choice now. And you would think in that moment, they'd be like, oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, and they'd like, you are God, you are God, Lord. And some might say, I ain't going that way, I'm going this way. You would think there would have been a parting right there. You would think some action would have happened. But they all just stood there like. The people answered him not a word. They thought it was better to not decide. And to decide. They were really stuck. It's tragedy. It's what happens when you get stuck. God speaks to you. He calls you out. And you've been so consumed with your comfort and your ways and your life and your patterns and all you got going that you don't even, you don't even have a response. You don't. You don't even say, yes, sir, no, sir, I will, sir, I won't, sir. You just stare off into space and do nothing. No fire is going to fall in our land as long as the church of Jesus Christ just keeps doing nothing. And we keep loving our ways and keep loving our patterns and keep loving this and loving that and trying to love him. And he's one-seventh, two-seventh, three-sevenths or whatever you want to make him instead of 100%. He calls you all the way in and you you just stand there. No fire falls when there's just silence. But it's what happens. When you're stuck, it'll lead to silence. The fire will fall when we stop being silent. When we decide to say, okay, I'm done. I'm done with silence. I'm done with stuck. I'm done with this. I'm going to step out. I'm going to say something. I'm going to pray something. I'm going to move. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. I'm going to serve. I'm going to respond. It's a choice that has to be made. And I get it. In the culture today, here and now, I get it. Everybody's a little afraid within the Christian world to say too much, right? Come on now. Everybody's a little bit nervous to say too much. Everybody's a little nervous to take too much of a stand. Hello? Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who might walk away from you. You don't know who you might offend. You don't know what could happen. But I'm telling you, there's no fire going to fall in our land as long as we, the church of Jesus Christ, are playing silent. It's like when I was a child, the game we would play when I was in elementary school and the teacher had given the homework or a project and we were finished with it, there was a couple of games we played. Heads down, thumbs up. Any heads down, thumbs up fans? Thank you. Or the quiet game. Teacher would play the quiet game. All right, we're going to play the quiet game. You know, it was really her strategy to have a quiet room for a little while. 
you know, and it worked because everyone would be quiet until someone made a noise. And it was, ah, oh, you're out, you're out. You, you cleared your throat, you sneezed, you said, ah, oh. you know, ah, oh, you're out, you're out. I'm afraid that's what's happened in our culture today. We as Christians have gotten like, Hello? Oh, you're out, you're out, you're out. You messed up. There's no fire going to fall as long as we keep playing the quiet game. No words, no fire. Let me just get personal with us. Just us right here. If there's ever a place you and I you and I ought to be the most comfortable to respond to God is right here. Inside these walls on a Sunday morning is a place we have gathered to encourage one another. Amen? We have gathered to speak truth, remind ourselves of who he is, and remind ourselves of who we are in him. This ought to be the place where we feel the most comfortable to speak out. To say something. To, to even say, amen. That's right. I like it. Come on. Any of that. But thank you. It's okay. It's good. It's necessary. This ought to be the place where we sing. I don't know if you sing in your car or not or in your house or not. But this is the place where we're all singing together. And we're not all experts. Hello? Yeah, don't talk about the person next to you. I'm talking about you. So it's okay. This is the place. This is the place where we ought to be encouraging one another, speaking truth to one another. Because if we can't do it inside these four walls, we're not going to do it outside these four walls. Amen? So don't be silent. Hear me. This is not the quiet game. All right? This is us talking together, you can talk all you want. You can talk back to me now. You can talk to your neighbor. That's fine. You can, you can do what you need to do to respond to God. If in the middle of the message, he starts saying something to you and you become overwhelmed with it, if you want to say, oh no, that's okay. I'll know what you're doing. If you want to say, yes, Lord, awesome, I'll know what you're doing. This is not the quiet game. Let's practice it here so that we can play it there. You'll play like you practice. Let's don't, let's don't practice quiet because we'll, we'll play quiet. Amen? All right, let's get on back to the story. So in this moment of silence, when the people answer not a word, Verse 22, it says, then Elijah said to the people, you see, if, if you won't talk to God, he'll talk to you. And Elijah says, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah says, guys, I'm the only one. I'm calling you to repentance from God. He's called me to speak. I'm the only one. They're all against me, but I'm speaking out. Can I get someone to speak with me is what he's saying. Will someone quit playing the quiet game and give me an amen is what Elijah's saying. Will somebody stand up and do something? Elijah's standing up against the culture. He's standing up against a wicked government. He's standing up against the people of God who've turned their backs on him and he's speaking out in truth. There's no fire going to fall in our land today as long as you and I live afraid. As long as you and I live concerned with what might happen, what could happen in the negative, where we play so ultra-cautious that faith never enters the scene. The fire will fall when we stop being afraid when we stop being consumed and concerned with the potential risk. I mean, I'll be honest. When, I, when our family said, hey, we're going to go up that mountain, right? I'm like, uh, yeah. It's not my thing, just being honest. 
I told you I was nervous the entire way up, the entire way back down. And that's just in a car. And Ryan was driving the vehicle I was driving. He did a great job. It was awesome. But I just, I get nervous about that. So I need to have some people alongside me, encourage me. Come on, it's going to be good. Come on, dad, you can do this. Come on, babe, you'll be fine. We'll all be fine together. I need that along the way. Do you ever need some things along the way to help you get past your fears? Go ahead and speak out at work. You can do this, honey. Come on, honey. I know you can do this. Come on, dear. Why don't you go ahead and lead our family in prayer right now? Come on, honey. You'll do a great job at this. Hello? Wives? That'll go a whole lot further than, how come you never pray when our family gets together? How many guys feel encouraged by that speech? But ladies, if you do, honey, there is nothing more powerful than when you pray. It creates in me such a love for you. In fact, it makes me desire you even more when you pray. Hello, guys. How many are motivated by that all of a sudden right now? Oh, you're afraid. Ah, you're afraid to raise your hands. Wimps. It's a day and a time to not be afraid. It's a time to speak. It's time to speak with wisdom. It's a time to put away our sin and our selfishness and our pride and speak. I talked to you two weeks ago about what it would look like if we, the church, said, I want that mountain. I want that mountain where we are the light of the world. I want that mountain where we are the ones who are the influencers and shapers of the culture. I don't want to be in the valley where we're stuck having to follow the lead. I want to be the ones who are making the lead. Amen? There's a movie out that I would encourage you to go see. The movie is called Unplanned. You should go see this. It's a story of a woman named Abby Johnson. She was the director of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Texas. True story. Until the day she was asked to go into the room where an abortion was occurring. When that happened, it changed her. She walked out of it and she went and joined down the street the Coalition for Life and became an advocate for life on that day. Go see the movie. Help make a difference in our culture. Help speak out against the murder of the unborn. Amen? Amen. I realize that in a room with this many people in it, there may be those who have made that decision at some point in your life. And right now, you're really struggling because of the guilt, the weight of that. Let me tell you today that there is love, there is forgiveness, and there is hope in Jesus Christ for whatever was in your past. Amen? Amen. Do not let that stop you from being a voice today. Your voice is perhaps the most strongest voice to make a difference. Amen? Amen. Unplanned. Go see it. Back to our story, 1 Kings 18, 23 through 29. I was going to kind of give you a generalized synopsis of these verses, but I can't do better than Scripture, so I'm just going to read it to you. So just... It's not going to be on screen, but just follow along with me. It says that, um, that Elijah set up the showdown. He called for them to prepare for the ultimate showdown for the fire of God to fall. Verse 23, it says this. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. That's New King James for you. It shows you their arrogance, their pride, their their logic that they were using to measure life, that is well spoken. 
Verse 25, now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Elijah says, you go first. Verse 26, so they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon saying, oh Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. Verse 27. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. I hope he didn't offend them in any way. (laughs) And he said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating. Just side note here. You should read this verse in the Living Bible. The Living Bible is one man's paraphrase of the Bible. And this word for meditating here, he, he, he interprets as, perhaps he is using the restroom. <laughs> Look at it. It's in there, the Living Bible. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Know this, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Just because there's a lot of activity doesn't mean there is any power. Just because there's a lot of words being spoken does not mean there's real life there. Just because they have convincing arguments at the time does not mean it's true. Hello? There's no fire. Nothing. Absolutely nothing happened. And sometimes you have to let them keep talking their words. Sometimes you have to keep letting them do their dance. Sometimes you have to keep letting them do their show. Sometimes you just have to let it all unfold so you can stand back and say, where's the fire? Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Mm. And all of a sudden we see something of what was wrong. A culture that had tried to play God and the world together. And here we see what happened. They had let the altar of the Lord be broken down. The place that should have been the center the place that should have been the most important, the place that should have been where forgiveness of sins was seen, the place that should have been the central where God was met with, the place that should have been the most important where they heard from God, knew God, sensed him, worshiped him, received from him, gave to him, that was broken down. If the altar of God is broken down in your life, there won't be a fire that will fall. If you want to see the fire fall, you've got to rebuild the altar. You've got to get to the place where you reinstate what you used to do. So, well, I just don't have time to meet with God in the morning and pray and read my Bible. Well, you're letting your altar get torn down. Well, you know, I just got all these bills, and I got these problems, and I got this stuff going on at work, and I just, I just got to do all that. Well, you know why you have all that? It's because your altar's torn down. 
It's because you've neglected worship. It's because you've neglected hearing from God. It's because you've neglected seeking him. It's because you've neglected the cross being the center of who you are. It's because you've neglected his power being what drives you. You got into some kind of mindset where you thought, I can do this on my own. I'll just push this off. I don't have time for him right now. I'll do that later. Maybe I'll have some time at the end of the week. He can get there. I can get there, but not now, God. That's what they had done. And Elijah says, it's time for the fire to fall. The world's had its chance. The world's been talking a good game. They've got their convincing arguments. They got their stories. They got their dance. They got their stuff. But I'm here to rebuild the altar. As the church, as vertical, it begins when you and I put the altar back together in our lives personally. It also means that we have to put his presence back as central in our lives. Stay with me here for just a moment. I grew up in the, my Christian life was in the 80s and 90s. I grew up in the day, and many of you will remember this, where church was Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon sometimes, Sunday night, Wednesday night, sometimes Tuesday night visitation, right? Hello? I'm not advocating a plan, but I will tell you this. It has become a day and time where church is an afterthought. Hello? Where this is less than what it used to be. And so you stop and look at our culture and where we are and just look at those two things together. When the people of God let the altar of God, the place where you meet with God, worship God, seek God, hear from God, gather together for the, as the people of God to teach, to serve, to give, when the place that should be the center of the culture is broken down, it's no wonder that the culture is broken down. And Elijah doesn't, he didn't hold anything back. An entire nation watches while he begins to reconstruct one piece at a time, the altar. You don't find anything in the passage that says that, and a group ran over to help him. And they all fell on their knees and repented at this point and began to rebuild the altar. No, every indication you get is that this one man pursuing God keeps rebuilding the altar. He's confident if he can restore the altar back to the center of life for these people that the fire of God will fall. We are desperate for the fire of God to fall in our land today. Amen? Amen. The fire of God is what causes life to happen. When the fire of God falls, then passion is ignited. When the fire of God falls, the reality of God is seen. No one denies it. No one questions it. No one wonders, well, I wonder what that really was. No, it's obvious what it is. And the fire of God lights up the people of God and it lights up the world and they repent of their sin and they follow him in that moment. Oh, there's some who won't believe. But when the fire falls, something powerful happens. Amen? Amen. And it starts with what Elijah does here. He rebuilds the altar. It was supposed to be the center of life. It was where the sacrifice was offered. It was where they were clear on their forgiveness, clear on their connection with God, clear on his blessing into their life, clear on being his people. They knew that. Worship was a passion to them. They weren't afraid of it. They didn't hide from it. It was central, and this altar had been broken down. Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. He rebuilt the altar and in the process reminded them of who they were. You are the people of God. 
You have been called out. I can almost just hear Elijah. He's putting one stone on top of the other, calling out the tribes, reminding them of their past, reminding them of their calling, reminding them of what God had done. He was doing all of that, and the altar was being rebuilt. And he was reminding them, Israel is your name. Israel is your name. Israel is your name. And the people were being reminded, wait a minute, we've been believing a lie. We've been listening to their voice instead of God's voice. In our day, in our time, it's time for us to be reminded of who we are. It's time for us to remember what God has done in us. It's time for us to remember our past. It's time for us to remember what we've been promised. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it's time for you and I to remember that. Because sometimes it feels like we're being prevailed against today. Hello? When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, oh, it's a promise we need to be reminded of. We are not the darkness in the culture today. We are not what's causing the problem. We have the answer. We have the hope. We have the only hope. We are the light of the world. We have been set on the hill as a city, as a place of hope to give light to all. Let us be reminded of that. That's when the fire falls, was when you rebuild the altar in your life. When we rebuild it as a church, Jesus is central to what we do. His sacrifice once and for all is our message and hope in him is our message. And we remind ourselves every time we get together whose we are. Amen? That's when the fire falls. Amen? The fire falls when we remember our name. Heather's dad tells a story in the family of uh, when he was young and he was going to go out with some friends and he was, it was his first time to really be out like that. And his mom pulled him close and said, Nikki, that's what they called him. He said, I want you to remember when you go out today that you are a Harris. And he probably thought, Was I going to forget that? Am I going to forget my name? Oh, you'd be surprised what happens when you get out there. It's easy to forget who you are. You get out there in the work and you get out there and everybody's doing their thing and all of a sudden people are compromising and integrity flies out the window and there's improper relationships and stuff's going on. It's easy in that moment to forget you are a Jesus follower. Amen. When the news comes on and all this stuff is coming at you so fast and furious, it's easy to get discouraged and think you're being prevailed against and you forget that you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. You have to remember your name. If you don't remember your name, there's no fire going to fall. The day we remember our name and the day we rebuild the altar, the center of life for us as a church individually, the fire truly will fall. Let's move on. Verse 32. I'm going to read these verses to you. It says, Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two C's, S-E-A-H-S, of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and the wood. This wasn't something that the Baal worshipers did. But Elijah says, now do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, hey, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. Elijah was so convinced that God was gonna move, that the fire was gonna fall. They said, you know what? He said, I want you to do this. I want, I want this to be a powerful message. And I want you to pour water on all of this because we've already seen how Baal's God hasn't answered. So let's see what happens, or Baal as God hasn't answered. I want you to do this. I want you to fill it, cover it with water once. Okay, that's good. Now twice. 
right, bring all those. Third time. I want it to be so clear that God is God over all. That, that when you think it's dead and there's no way, I want you to make it one more time more difficult. Two more times more difficult. Three more times more difficult. As though you were saying one day passed, two day passed, three days passed, and now we're gonna see the fire of God fall, amen? The gospel is happening here in the Old Testament. You don't have to wait to the New Testament to read the gospel. It's right here in the Old Testament. A sacrifice on the altar covered up one, two, three times. It's Jesus right here, amen? Verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He reminded them of who they were while he reminded God of his promise. He said, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. I'm walking in obedience here to you, God. I'm trusting you. May they know that what I'm doing is acting in full obedience to you. Verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. It's all about to happen, folks. The fire's about to fall. But before it does, Elijah gets into prayer mode. He starts calling out to God. He starts remembering some promises. He starts praying. He says, God, this is not for me right now. This is not for me alone. This is for them. This is so that they will know. This is so that they will know you are God. God, Bring the fire, let it fall, let it come, let it accept the sacrifice that they may know. You see, if you want to see the fire fall, then it all has to be about more than just you. The fire falls when we are desperate for others to see the fire fall. That's what Elijah's doing here. He didn't sit in some church service, hear a message, and think, I wonder what this is trying to say to me alone. If you're doing that, okay. If you're doing this, that's awesome. God has far more to say here than just what he's saying to you. He's speaking to you about them, and he's speaking to us about them. We have not been called as the church to gather here in a huddle to keep ourselves safe and comfortable. We have been placed here, called here, so that they may know that he is God. We do not exist for ourselves. And there's a strange pull to want it to all be about us. There's a strange pull that happens even when we gather here to make it all about ourselves, all about what we want, all about what's comforting to me, all about what feels good to me. It's not about any of us here. It's about God showing himself as Lord to them through us. Amen? The gospel wasn't given to you so that you could take it home, put it on your dresser, and keep it as a nice gift. The gospel came into you to totally transform you, to make you an ambassador for Christ, to turn you inside out, revolutionize your life, make it not about you, change the way you work, change the way you live, change the way you parent, change the way your marriage exists, so that it's not about you, it's about his glory being seen by all. Fire, fall. Let me finish it here. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, 
and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It happened. The fire fell. A nation was changed. An entire generation was changed. In this moment, they saw something they had never seen before because Elijah was willing to climb the mountain. It's our calling, folks. I hope you haven't come here this morning to hear something comforting, to make you feel good about the rest of your day so that you can have this personal little experience between you and God. If that happened, awesome. I'm praying it's much bigger than that. I'm praying it's so big you can't keep it within you. I'm praying it's so transforming it can't be small inside you. I'm praying it's so big you can't go home and just keep it on your shelf. Keep it in your pocket. Put it in just your personal life. I'm praying it so revolutionizes you that the fire of God is seen in your life. That the fire falls and it consumes everything that's trivial. Everything that's mundane, everything that you built, everything that you have so that it gets all glorified by him. So that the biggest thing people see in your life is not what you've done, but what he's done. Amen? This is a mountain he's calling us to as a church. Oh, it has to happen for us individually, but I'm praying for it as a church. I don't want to just be vertical church on the corner of Cockrell Hill and Ovilla Road or Main Street and Ovilla Road in Ovilla. I don't want that to just be what we're known as. The little church that made it by for a little while during the 2000s. I want to be the church that glorified Jesus. I want to be the church that saw the fire fall. I want to be the church that caused a generation to see God in a way they'd never seen before because the people in that church we're willing to rebuild the altar. We're, we, we're, we're willing to rebuild the altar of Christ at the center. They were unafraid. They were unashamed. And they remembered who they were. And they were desperate. They were desperate for others to know. They had people in their family that were far from Christ and they became desperate. They've got to know. And they prayed. That's what I want us to be known as. That's what God's calling us to. Do you have people in your life who are stuck? Do you have people in your life who are out there today? Do you have people who are far from God? Their only hope is Jesus Christ. And we've been called to bring that message. I'm praying the fire of God will fall here. It will so transform us. It will never, ever be the same. Would you stand with me this morning? This morning our response time is a little different. This morning our response time is going to be a call to come and pray. To make this an altar where we rebuild it. We start at the beginning. We seek God. We worship God. We're passionate for him and we're desperate for them to see the fire fall. So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. When I finish, the band's gonna start playing. I'd encourage you to join me up here. I'm gonna be on my knees down here. I'd encourage you to come join me. If you can't get on your knees, come stand. Come sit on the front row. If you need to grab someone to come with you, do that. You want to bring your spouse? Do that. Let's let this be a symbolic place of God. We've come to rebuild. We've come desperate for a culture today to know you. Let's pray together. Lord God, you alone are the holy God of the universe. There are no other gods beside you. You alone are holy and infinite, omnipotent and powerful and wise. You alone are the place of hope and mercy. When we were desperate in our own sin, dead and far from you, you sent your son to seek us.
He came as a lamb. He came and taught. He came and laid down his life, put himself on the altar, buried one day, two day, three day, but rose again when the fire of God fell and life entered back into him so that we might know there is hope, salvation, and life in none other but him. God, I ask you to forgive us as the church for doing what Israel had done, for trying to somehow merge you and the world together, to somehow merge trying to keep you as one thing and our job as another, to try to keep our marriage separate from you, to try to somehow balance it all instead of building our life on you. God, I pray today you would break our hearts for where we've tried to keep you as part of the mix as another good idea and not the foundation of who we are. Remind us of who you are and then remind us of who we are in you. And may it fill us with such passion and brokenness that it calls us to pray for others. That we might see the fire fall in our day. May the altar be rebuilt here at Vertical Church. May a passion come alive here at Vertical Church that it might change our area, our state, and our nation. We pray this with passion, with great desire, and hope in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Come join me to pray right here. What an incredible service. Today I loved how Pastor Brian told us to stop trying.